Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens. Brought to you by Preborn, saving babies and souls, and Wilson Financial Advisors, over 50 years of financial expertise and success. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on their logos for more information or to donate. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Is the most pro-life president in U.S. history actually pro-life? Recent questions have raised that issue. We'll talk about it on today's roundtable. Also, can conservative politicians save America? A recent study conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University says no. Well, those are just a few of the questions we'll be tackling on today's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable. My name is Neil Boron, and I'm the host of Neil Boron Live on WDCX Radio in Buffalo, New York. I'm joined today by my faithful and distinguished colleague, John Rush, host of Rush to Reason on KLZ in Denver, Colorado. John, the other guys of the fearsome force. Just here, us. Duco, I know. <laughs> yeah. Bob Duco, nowhere to be found. And uh, Roger, everywhere I go in rainy Southern California is a marsh. There you go. That name. We're, there you go. <laughs> that took me a while to pull that one. That's together. a good one. We're uh, they're unable to join us today, so it's just you and me. I don't get it, but here we just are. The, isn't there a song just the two of us, Neil? Just, just <laughs> oh no, no, please <laughs> don't do that, man. Don't do it. All right. Uh, well, we'll so, we'll do fine, Neil. We'll do fine. Yeah, we've got. I mean, and some interesting stuff to talk about today. Um, yes. We're going to dig in here and. You know, certainly some of this goes hand in hand with our sponsor, Preborn. So honestly, before we even get into the life issue, maybe you should tell us about Preborn. They're one of the reasons we're able to do this yeah. podcast. And it does tie in. We're going to talk a lot about these things today as well. And disclaimer, by the way, even before I do Preborn, folks, please. And I know we get criticisms at time. I do especially. I am not anti Donald Trump, or really anti, you know, very many politicians. There's a few that I really, you know, especially on the left that I do not care for. But when it comes to our side of the aisle, I just want to see the right changes made for the country. So please, everybody understand that I am not against anyone in particular. That being said, Preborn, to your point, Neil, great sponsor of ours. They really make this broadcast happen on a routine basis. You know, Wilson Financial does as well, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But Preborn, guys, it's a I don't know if people really understand, Neil, the fact that when when young ladies, young women go to Planned Parenthood, they will tell them, sure, we'll get you an ultrasound, you know, we'll help you out, you know, we'll plan, quote unquote, you know, what's going to happen next. Well, there's no planning involved. There's no showing of the ultrasound or anything along those lines. It's really kind of a, I'll just say it this way, it's a, and I'm not a woman, so please everybody again understand that, but what I've understood and the people that I have talked to directly that have been involved in this, the women that I've talked to, it's a very cold experience going to Planned Parenthood. It's the opposite going to preborn. They love these women. They're trying to give them all of their options, including adoption and other things that they can help them with resource-wise. And the reality is we want to save babies' lives. We're going to talk some about that even today and some of the things that we get into. And the reality is we want to save babies' lives. These are babies. These are living souls living inside of mom. And, you know, Neil, I wonder if we did birthdays differently you know, would we have a different view of how all of this works in the first place? We do birthdays yeah. the day that a a person comes out of the womb, but should we maybe be doing that when the day of conception was? And I know it's hard to pinpoint, but you get where I'm going with that. Our language and how we view things and so on 
as a world and especially as a country and especially with the way the left is continually pounding that that baby has no value until it's born and in some cases even after it's born it has no value depending upon how they look at it we look at it completely differently preborn looks at them as lives we look at them as lives their souls they're living inside of mom uh, these are living breathing you know, humans that are inside, they're babies, but they're humans living inside of mom. And let's give them the best chance we can for a fulfilled life. Amen. And that's what preborn does, folks. You can donate today. Bob says it all the time. You know, the little bit of money that we give helps these screenings, helps these ultrasounds. Those of you that have the ability to buy an ultrasound machine, I would encourage you to do that as well. And you can do all of that by just going to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, clicking on Preborn, and donating after that. And by the way, when you donate, you get a lot of nice things from them, thanking you and showing you what your donation did. And how would I know that, Neil? Because I donate and I participate <laughs> in what we're talking about, so I know that firsthand. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And that's, you know, we want to talk about the life issue today. I appreciate the way that you led into that. You know, I, you probably saw John Alabama, a Supreme Court in Alabama ruled this week, I believe, that um, an embryo is yep. a human being. So read a lot about that this morning, actually, Neil. I, not, not in preparation for this, but just, it just came up on my news feed and I started reading through it. And for those of you that maybe haven't seen what's gone on there, what the, you, Neil, you just said it, they're looking at these frozen embryos now as as a life, as a soul, if you would. And, and I think it's important to say it that way. And there's lots of implications. In fact, Neil, we could do literally an entire hour broadcast on all of the implications of this, right, wrong, or otherwise. And, and again, one of those things that I'll tell you straight up, I've known individuals that have been through this. I had a great pastor, dear friend of mine, still we're still very close, and he and his wife, the only way they were able to have uh, the majority of their kids was through that process. So I know a little bit about it from an arm's length, I guess you could say, Neil. Never have been involved in it personally, but I do not know all of the ins and outs of all of that and how that works, nor do I know what this ruling is going to do in regards to that. And again, just remember, folks, when you read things in the news, they're always slanted, especially when it's coming from a left-leaning organization. It's going to be slanted in that direction, Neil. So what I would say is take all of what you read with a little bit of grain of salt and realize that just like when Roe v. Wade was overturned, did abortion stop? Unfortunately, Neil, no, they did not stop. Did it change some things in certain states? Absolutely. But did they end? Of course not. Yeah. And that's a Excellent way to begin the conversation here, honestly, because we don't know, for instance, what that ruling in Alabama is going to mean long term. If someone is accused of destroying a frozen embryo, will they go to jail for murder? I mean, what? how, how would that play out and how is it going to affect people's view of in vitro fertilization? Some people listening right now have children only because of that procedure. So we don't know all the implications of that. But the reason I bring it up is because traditionally people who are pro-life have looked at this question um, a variety of different ways. But, you know, the classic definition of what it means to be pro-life is that you believe in the sanctity of all human life from the moment of conception. Uh, maybe you're right that that's when we should support or, uh, you know, celebrate birthdays. But from the moment of conception to the point of natural death. Okay. Um, now let's flip over to this conversation about Donald Trump. And again, this was in the news. I think it's important we talk about it because in my estimation, this is going to have a big bearing on the election. Mm. Um, here, here's what happened, essentially. Some uh, of the associates of Donald Trump, key inside people, people he relies on, uh, someone leaked some information saying that Donald Trump is now considering a national abortion ban of 16 weeks, which is interesting because, you know, the, the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe took the question of abortion from the federal level 
threw it back on the states and said, if you want to have limits on abortion, you're allowed to do that. If you want to have no limits, use your individual states get a chance to decide that. Now, um, if there if there is, if it's true that Donald Trump is considering the possibility of some type of national abortion ban, that brings it back into the national question. And some people say that's even hypocritical. However, um, the report that was published in the New York Times and other places says that this individual said Donald Trump is supporting a 16-week abortion ban. And I don't have the exact terminology in front of me. Maybe I can find it here quick. But it basically, you know, the inside scoop was that if he supports that, it's because it's a it's a nice round number. You know, it's it's four it's uh, four months. It's sixteen weeks, and that's what he likes about it. Now, is that true? We don't know. That was reported in the New York Times. May have no truth whatsoever. But it's kind of interesting because if he is considering an abortion ban, all of a sudden. Uh, you have to ask the question, why? Um, now, somebody might say, well, that's we need abortion you know, restrictions, except 16 weeks allows for 96% of the abortions that happen in the U.S., meaning you'd only be stopping about 4%. The vast majority of abortions happen prior to 16 weeks. And a true pro-lifer would, in a sense, say, well, that's basically no restrictions at all. Right. That's throwing it wide open, right. which could cost Trump pro-life votes it also cost him the other side i by the way just think this is yeah this is a bad move on the part of any presidential candidate to go down this path this is one of those you know where i i think you know if you were asked you gotta make sure you couch the answer correctly and we've talked about some of that here on this broadcast in the past but personally if i was his advisor this is one of those things you just stay away from right now yeah and you brought up a good point it fires up the other side as well. Why? Because A, it represents a restriction, and of course... And they don't want any. No, they don't want any. So that that puts them on the hot seat there. And then in the pro-life community, it says, wait a second, you wouldn't be protecting 96% of the babies in the womb. Uh, They'd still be vulnerable to abortion. That's not being pro-life at all. In this case, he's not playing to either side, and it may very well end up Backfire again. I don't know. Neil, you and I, especially, have talked about this in the past. And, and again, everybody listening, please. It's, I'm not against Donald Trump. I just wish Neil that either he'd put some better advisors around him, or he'd do a better job of listening to some of the advisors he has. I don't know. I don't know the people that are around him, so I can't say is it the advisors or is it him. I don't have that answer. But I do know Neil. There are times where I just wonder where is he getting his talking points from. Yeah, and it's troublesome because this is an important issue. By the way, um, he has largely shied away from this in the past. He hasn't been. We all know he hasn't been public about his own feelings on this or his own personal beliefs. People might immediately say, well, look, he appointed the three justices to the U.S. Supreme Court that helped overturn Roe. Which we're thankful for, by the way. We are, and they would be right. But did he? And then the question is raised, but if he supports a 16-week abortion ban, is he really not and, you know, and at all? And he, did he just try to get elected is what I was going to say. Well, and I want to jump in and also say this is the other problem I have with Donald Trump at times. And, you know, there's times where he'll come out and say, see, I'm the guy that literally stopped or, you know, that I overturned Roe v. Wade. Well, yeah, 
indirectly, I guess you did. And, you know, do you want to take credit? But really, a humble leader would say, guys, listen, we had a grave thing on the table. It was Roe v. Wade. A lot of people out there knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. It needed to be in the state's hands. And what I did was I selected Supreme Court justices that understood the meaning of the Constitution and the fact that that was never ruled on in, in, in the beginning the way that it should have been anyway. So all I did was select the right men and women to sit on that court and handle things appropriately. Do I take some credit for that? I guess if you want to give me credit for picking the right individuals and getting them you know, confirmed through, through the Senate, that's great. But at the end of the day, it's those individuals that made this happen. But instead, he'll go up on stage and say, see, I overturned Roe v. Wade. That's my problem with Donald Trump, by the way, for all of you listening. Yeah, well, one thing that I, I'm comfortable with is you mentioned the word humility in the same sentence with Donald Trump. And, um, you know, the the need to be humble matters. And I, I think you're 100% right. And I, in a minute, I want to talk about some of the things he says about other people, because I think that matters as well. And if conservatives hope that Donald Trump is the one who's going to be elected in November, some of these things are absolutely going to matter. John, absolutely. you know you know well that the vast majority of the American people fall in neither camp. What I mean about that is um, very few people will say, yes, abortion should be available at all times for whatever reason, right up until the moment of, of natural birth. Mm-hmm. People will not say that. They're, they're comfortable with some restrictions, at least. Right. Others, uh, there's very few people who will say it should never be available for any reason because they they have a problem with, for instance, the questions of rape, incest, and the life of the mother, which apparently is kind of a litmus test. Some of these same insiders or advisors working with Trump who leaked some of this to the New York Times said, you know, that's always been a key concern for him. If, if somebody was going to be appointed to a position or whatever, they, he said, where do they stand on those three issues, rape, incest, and life of the mother? Because if they didn't meet at least that criteria they weren't considered they were their names were dismissed right. according to this article in the New York Times which then raises the question is Donald Trump actually pro life or did he uh promise to put these justices on the US Supreme Court because he saw it as a transactional way to get elected that's a tough one again you you look at even how he's played kind of the Roe v Wade card up to this point which Again, I just explained a moment ago the problem that I have with the way he even describes that, and I'm reading some of that article, too, that's in the New York Times talking about how he likes it because it's a nice round number. It's even. It's four months, he said. Supposedly this was in a private conversation, and to your point, that's one of the things he's asking even some of the folks that he's trying to pick as as potential VP candidates are along these same lines. And, and again, my advice to all of them would be, you know, if the topic comes up, you can address it. But right now, what we've learned, and we've talked about this in the previous weeks on this podcast, Neil, what we've learned here of, of late is, while the Democrats want abortion to be front and center, it's not. You know, the economy and immigration right now has become front and center. So why drag something back into the campaign and have the New York Times talking about it and resurging something that the left wants to be the number one issue? Why go down that path at all politically, Neil? In terms of political strategy, it doesn't make any sense at all. If you're just looking at it in terms of political strategy, I don't know what else his advisors might be thinking or why somebody would leak that kind of information to the media. Maybe they actually want to bury Trump and, Could be. you know, and they, and Trump is unaware of it, but either way, I agree. It, it's not the time to bring it up. And I don't think he's got the talking points 
uh, with him on this one. Like when you start getting into this debate, it's almost a no-win situation. You're going to be ticking off people on both sides. And of course, that means people in the middle are the ones who are probably going to be most offended because they're going to be forced to go one way or another. And we're talking about the possibility that if he doesn't win a major number of independent voters or those undecided voters, he doesn't stand a chance. So um, it's... And and by the way, even, even in some of the comments that are being made, from the New York Times, from the insiders. You know, nothing in here is talking about how, you know, we're one of the few nations that even allow abortions the way that we do. You know, if we want to be like a lot of these you know, young people want to be like Europe, well, then we'd have stricter, you know, regulations when it comes to abortions and things along those lines. Nowhere, though, is right. this talk in here. And again, those are some of the talking points, Neil, that if I was advising him on, you say, listen, we're one of the, you know, we're one of two countries in the entire world that even allow us to do what we do. And yes, we believe in freedom, but at some point in time, folks, you've got to look at what is this child. I mean, the farther technology goes down the road and the more of it we have, the more we realize how early that baby starts to develop inside of the mother's womb. And the reality is, guys, pictures speak for themselves. We've got to make drastic changes because what we know today versus what we even knew 20 years ago is drastically different. And we have to, you know, everybody wants to follow the science. Everybody talked about that during COVID. So if we're going to follow the science, let's follow the science and when a baby's actually a baby. Yeah. And without... And those are things he could say, Neil. Totally. And without groups like Preborn, by the way, providing ultrasound technology, who knows what the numbers would be. Um, Amen. Just before we turn the corner here and switch gears a bit, I just want to mention, if if there were a 16-week abortion ban in place since Roe v. Wade happened in January of 1973, if there was a 16-week abortion ban in its place, um, about 61, this is using rough numbers from the Guttmacher Institute. That's, by the way, the research arm of Planned Parenthood. Uh, but, you know, about 61 million babies would have lost their lives since 1973, and only about 4 million would have been saved. So what I'm getting at is a 16-week abortion ban is no kind of pro-life legislation that anyone right. who's actually pro-life wants to be messing around with, which indicates the danger uh, of what's happening here for social conservatives if they're going to allow Trump to go in that direction. I mean, unless he's willing to stand for something more than that, I think he's in big trouble. Okay. Yeah, well, I think, you, and you said it earlier, all he's doing is he's trying to play to both sides. And when you do, yeah. you, you know, what's that old saying? When you burn the candle at both ends, it doesn't work out well. That's what's happening <laughs> yeah. here. Exactly. Uh, I want to change gears in a minute, but so grateful for Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services. He's one of our trusted uh, sponsors, partners here on the National Crawford Roundtable. He's a big believer in supporting innocent human life. He's a major sponsor of Roger Marsh's show, The Bottom Line, which airs on KBRT in Southern California. Um, And he's all about helping people to protect the assets God has entrusted to them, but also to grow them. So if you're one who's looking to see a return on your investment, you really need to check out what Dennis Wilson has to offer. Um, And he's had some incredible offers in the past, one including uh, a guaranteed 13% yield over a 12-month period, meaning you put in $100,000, you're going to have $113,000 at the end of the year. You got to call him to find out how the program works, though. Um, There are some specifications that go along with it, but an incredible return on investment for some of his clients. And you need to understand that Dennis Wilson is about not just growing that money, but protecting it for you. So you can get in touch with him by calling 800-696-9970. But I'd recommend that you go to the website, CrawfordMediaGroup.net, and just click on the button for Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services, and uh, you'll be put in contact with him right there. Click on Wilson Financial Services um, by clicking on the banner at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. 
Net. All right. One more thing about the upcoming elections. We won't belabor this. We won't spend a lot of time. But uh, Donald Trump, as we know, we've talked about it for years, has a habit of running his mouth and saying Mm -hmm. outrageous things, calling, you know, North Korea's leader a little rocket man, et cetera. Um, So recently he's come out with more. is, is he just narcissistic or is he insane? Like, th- does he think that calling people names is a is a healthy strategy? I think that, honestly, in some conservative circles it works because people are so fed up with the system, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just a few examples. Uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James, um, who sued Trump in 2022 for, you know, overinflating the value of his real estate holdings, et cetera called her a lunatic. Special counsel Jack Smith, who brought two federal indictments against him, called him an animal. Uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, he refers to her as Fanny, purposely mispronouncing her name for obvious reasons. Uh, Nikki Haley, who he appointed uh, as UN ambassador in 2017, for the purpose he says now was to get her out of South Carolina, called her an interventionist neoconservative, a flip-flopper, and a born loser. That's who he's running against. Uh, he calls her a born loser. Um, and then Judge Arthur Ngoran, um, he's the one who slapped a $355 million penalty on Trump uh, for overinflating the value of his companies. He called him crooked. There's other examples as well. John, is this going to get him somewhere? Is he out of it his It does mind? among Has his he... base. I mean, this revs up his base, Neil, which which I don't think he's really, again, advising, whoever's advising him not doing this correctly. Maybe nobody is. Maybe that's part of the problem. He's already got the base, Neil. You, you, can, you can rev them up any number of ways. In fact, just pick a few different words for the people that he's talking about. And by the way, I don't disagree with him on these individuals and what they've done to him. And I would be very upset about that as well. But publicly, you've got to pick different names and different things. And, and by the way, everybody except Nikki Haley, which that one you just, you know, let her be her own demise and quit worrying about it. I mean, she's one where I wouldn't even mention anything along those lines whatsoever. The rest of them, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would feel the same way he does about that. But you've got to use different words, you know, something along the lines of even the judge that handed down the ruling in New York, you just have to say something along the line, yeah, this is a guy that's never owned a piece of commercial real estate in his life, and yet he's going to pass down judgment upon somebody that does. I would use terms like that versus calling him stupid or a moron or whatever the case may be. By the way, I think the guy is. I'll, I'll go on public record saying that. <laughs> that guy is an absolute idiot. He has no idea how that world works whatsoever. I challenged somebody on air the other day, Neil, the left, because I've got lefties that listen to me regularly, and I said, okay, you guys want to defend what this judge did and what the AG did in New York? You can call in and defend with this caveat. You have had to have owned a commercial property in the past with a mortgage on it. Otherwise, don't call me, because if you haven't been through that, you have no business defending what that judge and AG did. And guess what? No phone calls, Neil, because if you're in that world, you can't defend what this judge did. But well, that being said, that being said, even then, Donald Trump could have said what I just said and really explained fully what's even going on in that particular case, rather than just calling these people names. What I'm what I'm really looking at here is the question: Can he win over anybody that's in the middle? There's there's a you know there's there's election fatigue going on on both sides you're hearing a lot of people saying i can't believe that it's biden and trump again really we live in this country 330 million people and the only two people we can find to run are biden and trump again so you know you're getting that kind of feedback from voters so 
those people that are in the middle or some who said, I'll never do it again, I'll never vote for Trump, especially after what happened on January 6th, you know, that so-called riot or insurrection, as some people refer to it. After all that stuff, there's no way I'd vote for this guy. Well, it reminds me, I'll just say it reminds me of when he debated Trump, or I'm sorry, Biden the first time. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stop talking. He kept interrupting. He was obnoxious. He was a bully, you know, right. in that debate. And it hurt him. It did hurt him. Okay, so then everybody said, all of his advisors and everyone, public opinion was, shut up next time. Let Biden dig his own hole. You've right. got the moral high ground in terms of the talking points on the issues. I wouldn't say moral high ground in terms of life decisions because I don't know what. No, but I, I get what you're saying. Doors. When it comes to the political end of things, he definitely yeah. did. Yeah, so he's got, he's got you know, the, the high Run ground. Run on your term- record. Run on things like border security and the economy and a strong military right. and whatever. Like, nail nail Biden on those points in the second debate and shut up and let him dig his own grave. Uh, and he he did better in the second debate. He he actually kind of listened to people a little bit. But now the question is, hey, you're running again. You you know, most in, in America would say you lost last time, but a huge percentage would say it was stolen. Either way, here we go again. Have you learned anything? Are you going to present yourself differently? Mm-hmm. Like maybe you learned a few things along the way, but then he's dropping these bombs, referring to people like yeah. this, charging his own base up. You're right. They're all getting excited, but ultimately but that's that not enough help Neil. Him in the end. Yeah. And, and I don't know that I say this on our show constantly, Neil, and I, and I get a lot of flack for this. I've gotten flack on this podcast. I've had people say, I'm never going to listen to you again because of the way, you know, you attack Donald Trump. Please, everybody realize I'm not attacking anyone. I'm simply stating the facts. This is what we do. We're commentators, Neil. We do this stuff daily. And I think it's our job to point some of these things out. And the reality is, yes, he revs up his base greatly. The problem is you can't win the next presidential election. In fact, Neil, you can't win most elections with just the base because the country now is really split, as you said earlier, into three different compartments. And if you don't have that middle compartment, you're not going to win. So you really, Neil, you have to play to them. Yes, you need your base, but what Donald Trump maybe doesn't understand, he's got the base no matter what, Neil. They're there. They're in. They know what he did the last time. All you got to do is talk about those things and bringing things back that I once did when I was president prior, and you've got the base already there. You, you don't have to continue to attack and do the things that he's doing. And I know that we're getting tight on time. Preborn, we should also talk about Neil and Please kind of wrap do, yeah. things up that way. And all of this. And you guys, you heard us talk about Preborn numerous times during this first half of the podcast. And I just, Neil, I cannot stress enough to people that if you value life like we do, and that is the major difference between, by the way, the left and the right, who values life more? We can talk about all the other political things, the economy, taxes, all those other things, Neil, but when it really comes down to it, which side values life and which side doesn't? Our side does value life. That's our platform. You're, we're talking about today, even with what Donald Trump potentially wants to do, and whether 16 weeks is right or not isn't, isn't the issue right now, Neil. The issue is how do we help preborn do more screenings, do more ultrasounds? How do we buy them more machines so they can do more of this? They are literally on the front line saving babies' lives daily. How do we keep that going? And one of the ways we do is just go to preborn and donate. You can find them at crawfordmediagroup.net. Yeah, and I definitely want to encourage you to check that out, crawfordmediagroup.net. When you have an opportunity at whatever platform you use to listen to the National Crawford Roundtable, go ahead and give us a a nice review. We would absolutely appreciate that. 
And today it's John and I, of course, uh, holding down the fort. Bob and Roger will be back again next week. But we've got a variety of other things we want to talk about in the second half of the podcast. Let me also mention that for those of you who are listening to us today, you can actually view video of the podcast. Don't know why you'd want to, Neil, but hey. (laughs) Exactly. I've got my camera running, by the way. Did you remember to start yours? Yes. Yes, yes, I did. Looking at a still picture of John Rush for an hour is not a fun thing. Yeah, you don't want that. Uh, yeah, but you can do that at myhopenow.com and uh, follow my.com, myhopenow.com, wherever you follow your social media. The second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is coming up next. This has been a Crawford Media Group production. This is the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with John Rush, host of Rush to Reason on KLZ in Denver. Clearly, John suffering for Jesus on a daily basis uh, there with the fresh air in the gorgeous Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I know it's tough, but somebody's yeah, got to do tough, it. Yeah. Uh, Roger Marsh of the bottom line on KBRT in the People's Republic of California. And Bob Duco, host of the Bob Duco Show on WMUZ in Detroit. The Motor City, by the way, is he called the motor mouth of the Motor City? I've oh, good wanted. question. <laughs> we'll have good to ask one. him that. Um, I'm host of Neil Boron Live. My name is Neil, of course. Uh, it airs on WDCX in western New York State and southern Ontario, including Toronto and beyond. But... We want to continue here with the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast and dig into some other issues we didn't cover during the first part. These ones, uh, these issues focused more on the church. I want to look at the church. Um, I also want to mention that uh, a research group uh, known as the Cultural Research Center, part of Arizona Christian University, came out with a study recently. And by the way, George Barna sold the name the Barna Group left, and he now heads the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian. But um, they recently came out with some pretty startling information um, that looks at you know our culture and what we value and what we stand for, et cetera, and essentially concluded this in a nutshell, that uh, no political figure has the ability to save America. And, and the reason is for something you referred to in the first part of the podcast, John, um, that that America is just too divided. There's no human being that's going to be able to step up and take all the fragments we've broken ourselves into and pull it all together, and that really what's needed is a spiritual uh, renewal, a spiritual uh, awakening in our country. And so there's a lot of information we can dig into there. But in light of that, I wanted to ask you about several things here um, re- regarding the church and where we are in the world today some of this relates to the upcoming elections. The rest of it just relates to how we conduct ourselves as believers in a world where we're to be representatives for Christ, ambassadors in his kingdom. So um, it's the what-if question. And, and John, this kind of goes back to uh, 2016. I remember asking my own listening audience, okay, everybody uh, in you know who's a social conservative wants to see Donald Trump. At that time, we knew very little about him except he'd hosted The Apprentice, right? Um, mm-hmm. But we knew a lot about the Clintons. And social conservatives were really leery about that. They didn't want to see Hillary Clinton elected. But I said, what if God's plan is that Hillary Clinton gets elected, America goes to hell in a handbasket, but it brings about revival uh, to the extent where it's being seen in places like Sudan and North Korea, China, other places, uh, some Muslim countries where it's illegal to share the gospel. Like, what if? I'm not saying it would. I'm just saying what if. It's a hypothetical question. Mm -hmm. What if God knew that our... Uh, our suffering as a result of those kinds of things would lead us to our knees, lead us into a deeper relationship with him. Uh, and my question today is, uh, just it's, it's a coffee house conversation here. It's the round table, right? Um, 
what if God's plan for the church in America doesn't hinge on Donald Trump? Would anyone in the church today, would social conservatives embrace that? Would they believe it? Would they receive it? Or, you know, would they just fight back again saying this is a bigger act of the enemy and the devil is responsible for this? Is there any chance that God doesn't want Donald Trump to be the president of the United States? That's a really good question, Neil. And I think, first of all, my answer is, and I don't want to sound coy here at all, but I do believe that back in the day, God allowed this country, you know, say allow or even maybe structured it in such a way, you know, he put things into the hearts and thoughts and minds of our founding fathers to create a country very much like what your pastor would understand this, very much like what the children of Israel had prior to kings. In other words, they were using judges and they did some things differently and there was self-accountability and so on. And the reality is they finally came to God then and said, hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. And you kind of wonder now, is this nation kind of in that same point, you know, we want socialism because we want to be like all the other countries that have it, which, is, by the way, is not the answer, nor was it the answer for the children of Israel. But you, know, you have to wonder, did the Lord allow this country to exist, knowing all of the good that would come out of it the last 250 years, the things that this nation has done around the world, the fact that it's lifted poverty around the world, around the globe, and despite what a lot of people on the left would would feel about capitalism and those things, Neil, we have done a lot of great things around the world. Have we no done question. some wrong? Absolutely. Every country does wrong. No one's perfect. But you, know, you have to ask the question, I guess is really what I would say is, does God care who's president? Or is it more of God gives us free will, just like he did in the garden, and for us to make those choices on our own? And we live in a constitutional republic whereby we get to hire the individuals that we feel should run the country the way we want it run. And I think that's where, frankly, Neil, the church has failed drastically. They, the church has not taught civics the way that it should have. We basically just said, you know what, we shouldn't be in politics. Let those guys handle it. We'll back away. We'll teach this side. We'll let them teach that side. And that, I do believe, Neil, is a failure. And I don't think the Lord ever wanted that to have happen in the first place. And it wasn't that way early on in this country, but somehow, some way. You know, we were infiltrated, if you would, and we started moving away from some of the key issues. Not that the church needs to be all political, but the church needs to teach the basics of how this country operates. And you talk about a revival. Well, as you know, the church is the key to that, not a politician. 100%. You know, a simple sort of example of that that came to mind while you were talking was that during the uh, uh, past, let's say, since Roe v. Wade, last couple of decades anyway, um, people have said, well, if we could just get rid of Roe v. Wade, it would stop abortion. You know, we'd be able to stop abortion. Not true. Not true. We still have abortion in America because there are states like New York, for instance, California, off the rails. These, these states allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancies and pregnancy and actually celebrate it. Um, there are many liberal states. It's, it's be- begun to be restricted in some 20 states or so uh, where it's either completely outlawed or there are restrictions against it. But uh, the fact is, People were wrong when they thought that all we need to do is overturn Roe. And I think that some people, in in the simplicity of their own minds, haven't bothered to think through, well, listen, can one person really save a country? Can one single election? Because, by the way, for a presidential election anyway, you're only looking at four years. Uh, what happens four years from now? Sometimes, you know, we like I think during Donald Trump's election in 2016, um, he had control of the House, if I'm not mistaken. By 2018, he lost control of the House in the midterms. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how secure was our future, given that it you know could be overturned in 
in two years if if you're relying on those kind of things. So I would say that that one of the ways the church has failed to really look realistically at what's going on in the world is by putting way too much attention on politicians, uh, political parties, uh, the conservative media, you know, looking to people like the late Rush Limbaugh or more currently, you know, Joe Rogan or Hannity or Tucker Carlson or whoever, like, like they're the bearers of all truth. Some of these people don't know the Lord. Some of them are atheists. Some of them want nothing to do with God. And our hope, our future, our the truth that we seek isn't found in human beings. Now, I don't want to go off the rails on that because we need to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and I think it's important that you know we know what's going on in the world around us. But I don't think we need to go overboard and trust that an election or a political party fully or, agree. You know, can, can, can fix no, anything. I fully agree, Neil, and I think that's part of where even some of the, the base and what's been revved up in that particular situation, I think that's where... Even some of those folks get it completely wrong. They're looking for that, you know, quote unquote Messiah figure. They feel like Donald Trump fits that. And at the end of the day, no, he doesn't. He's not a Messiah figure. He can't fix everything. Are we hiring him or someone, you know, whether it's him, somebody else to do the things that we, again, don't have time to do ourselves? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I don't, you know, and maybe this is the difference between me and a lot of listeners that get upset with me in the way that I talk about Donald Trump. He puts his pants on one leg at a time, Neil, just like I do. I don't look at him as any savior or anything along those lines. Is he a smart individual, and has he made billions and billions of dollars by being smart? Of course, you know, I will say this all the time. You can't become a billionaire unless you inherit it any other way than being smart. So while I give the guy credit where credit's due, absolutely. But is he a savior of the country? Absolutely not. Is he a fighter? Will he do some of the things other politicians won't do? Absolutely. We've seen him do that, Neil, time and time again. The problem is far too many Christians, in my opinion, are looking for that quote-unquote savior slash, you know, they've got a Messiah complex, I guess you could say, Neil, where they're looking for this one individual to come along and save them when there's a lot of things they could be doing themselves. 100%. 100%. Let me, let me jump in on that point because this ties in nicely. Throughout all of Roe v. Wade, pregnancy care centers were doing the hard work of looking at women in the eye mm. and saying, you know what, you don't yep. have to have that abortion. That's and right. one of the greatest tools that's been handed to them in the last 10 or 15 years is ultrasound technology. It's become prevalent in pro-life pregnancy center kind of ministry where women are able to see the development of the child inside them. And John, that's making a huge difference. Oh, man. Yes. And and to your point, Neil, and it's one of those things where sometimes, you know, this stuff goes unnoticed. And and please, preborn, don't think that we don't notice what you do. I do. We, you know, we know that that's there, Neil. You and I and Roger and Bob, we talk about this stuff on a weekly basis. So we see it. But I think there's a lot of folks, you know, Neil, where a week rolls by, and then it's two weeks, and then it's a month, and then it's six, and they think, oh, wow, you know, maybe I should do something about such and such, or maybe I should donate. You know, there's the ability for you to go on to preborn. And by the way, a lot of you, you should do this. Even if it's, Neil, $25 a month. I don't know what people can afford. I don't know their finances. We'll talk about Wilson here in a little bit, and maybe that's the help they need to be able to do more for preborn. But at the end of the day, you can set up reoccurring gifts, Neil, whereby you can have whatever you want for your monthly donation happening, whether you think about it or not. So you don't have to worry about those weeks, days, etc. that go by. It's just going to be happening automatically. The other thing about that when you do that, Neil is when you see that donation show up, whether it's a direct deposit, whether it's coming on a credit card, however you want to do it, when you see it, now you are remembering, oh, you know what? 
I'm glad I just did that. I'm listening to you know John and Neil and the guys on the on the podcast, and I know how deeply involved they are with preborn. I am now as well. So guys, you can be as involved as we are on a routine basis by making a reoccurring donation happen at preborn. You can do that by going to CrawfordMediaGroup.net and just click on preborn. Yeah, and you mentioned twenty five dollars. Twenty eight saves a, a baby. That's what it there costs ultimately. So twenty eight dollar gift on a monthly basis. Keep doing it and, and saving a life can, every month. Yeah. So CrawfordMediaGroup.net. Click on preborn. Um, John, we didn't. I don't know if we ever did a real show on this or if we just made comments along the way. But at the end of the last election, when there was so much controversy, you know, uh, had there been election interference? Uh, was it fair and free? Was it rigged? You know, was it stolen from Donald Trump? Uh, we saw the rise of the Trump prophets and Trump prophecies and that kind of thing. Uh, talk to me about that and whether or not you think Christians ought to try to speak for God when it comes to what's happening in our country uh, along the lines of what happened last time, because to me, that was an embarrassment. And I think that the church really should have stood up and said, listen, uh, these people who made specific claims about how Trump would be back in office by, you know, June of such and such a date, and they gave dates in some cases, and they were wrong, which means they're false prophets. And I think that that does great harm to the body of Christ. Uh, Your thoughts? I wish we wouldn't do that, Neil. It always I always struggle with that. And again, I think maybe it's because we just have a misconception of how this country actually works. Or maybe I have a, I mean, you're the pastor. Maybe I have a misconception. But the way I look at how the country works is like a sporting event, Neil. Does God care whether the Kansas City Chiefs or the 49ers won? No. I'm sorry to say, folks, he doesn't care. <laughs> Come on, at man. The, at the end of the day, does God like football? You know, I think God likes all sorts of things that he's given us enjoyment in as well, and I don't think we need, ever need to look at him as being as removed as even a lot of folks want to put you know, God, because I don't see it that way. The Lord is not removed from what we do daily. He deeply cares about us and what we're involved in and what we care about. But when it comes to the outcome of a football game, by the way, does God care? No, I think all he is looking at is how can I be glorified when all this is said and done? And there's some players out there that definitely do a good job of that, and some of the Kansas City Chief guys do that. So, Neil, I don't think at the end of the day he cares. I'm going to go one step further and say, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, does he care who's president of the United States? You know, I think he cares about what we're doing as a country morally, what direction we're headed, how can we help others around the world. I do think that he cares about that end of things. But are there multiple people that could fulfill that and that God could use regardless, whether it's Donald Trump or someone else? I believe in it that way, Neil. I don't look at it as one single source. It comes down to we are a republic. We are the people. What are we doing when it comes to what God wants us to do? And are we moving the country forward the way that we need to? And at that point in time, Neil, if we do that, it doesn't matter who we hire to run the country because we, the people, are doing what God wants us to do. Amen. And I have so much more to say about that. I want to get to it in just a second. But something that came to mind since we were talking about sports. Number one, uh, God really didn't care about the, the 49er Chiefs Super Bowl. He wanted the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Oh, there you okay. go. <laughs> so let me just start there. But but you know as well as I do that one of the big things that's happened in sports over the last five, six years, the explosion of sports betting. I was reading an article about it the other day. And people are relying on that, not just for fun, but actually to try to make money. And we all know how betting works. You know, the house wins ultimately every time. That's right. Somebody's going to win some money, and a whole bunch of people are going to lose a whole lot of money, and there's a better way for you. 
to, to take care of your family, which the Bible says that somebody who doesn't take care of their family is worse than an infidel. Amen. Like caring about how we manage our money for God's glory and for the benefit of us and our family and others so we can give to ministries like Preborn, et cetera, matters. So being a wise steward of what God has entrusted is something we need to take very seriously. And Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services is a Christian. He loves the Lord. He follows biblical principles in the investment advice that he gives his clients, and he does an incredible job of helping people not only to grow their assets, but to protect them. And he's got a variety of programs he can tell you about. Some of them involve CD accounts with a guaranteed 7% return. I mentioned one earlier. Um, he had a, a specific account with specific rules and regulations, but it had a 13% yield on it over 12 months. You need to check into those things and find out what Dennis Wilson can do for you. We encourage you to find him on um, by clicking the button at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. If you want a better alternative uh, than sports betting, and this is by far better, go to Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services. Click on his button at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. All right, so uh, continuing the conversation here, and we've been talking primarily about the church and the role of the church as we head towards the elections and mistakes we've made in the past where we put too much emphasis or not enough emphasis, et cetera. Um, I want to I bring up this question. We continue to see reports that say there's a profound decline in weekly church attendance. Now, some of it gets blamed on COVID. In some cases, church attendance has rebounded, but not to the level of mm-hmm. pre-COVID. Um, we hear about what's called the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. In other words, people who say, mm-hmm. look, I don't have any church affiliation. I don't want anything to do with church or organized religion. Um, we've seen a growth of relativism, of course, the de- decline <clears throat> Excuse me, in evangelism. You know, it used to be a big deal. People would talk about Billy Graham, and there were campaigns right. like Evangelism Explosion and, and uh, That's right. you know, all of that. That's right. uh, okay, so people are not sharing their faith as much as they used to. The mass exodus of 20-somethings, like younger people just walking away from the faith, deconstructing is a popular term now, deconstructing their faith. A lack of prayer. Uh, only about 3% of people who say that tithing's important actually tithe. You know, of all the people who say tithing's important, only 3% actually do. Now... You know, I'm not going to get into New Testament giving versus tithing, but the point is, are we are we in the church actually following through on the kinds of things that we say? Now, what's causing all this? Is it Hollywood? Is it Democrats, liberals, and progressives? Is it educators, or is it us? Is it the church? What role? Do, church. And I, obviously, I it's think it's every it's everything, John. Right? But it's yeah, it but is, it's also but it starts us. at the church. No, it well, really does. I mean, and, and you know, this is a and this is probably a multi multiple series podcast where you can bring. Neil and Roger into this because at the end of the day, yes, I do believe it's the church. A lot of the things that you just said do factor into that. But at the end of the day, you know, church, seminaries, Bible colleges, you know, they've been infiltrated with a lot of folks from the left and left-leaning ideology and so on. And the reality is there's a lot of churchgoers that I believe, and, and we, you know, wife and I, we have struggled with this a little bit. It's, okay, where do you go to find somebody that really does preach the things that need preached every single week, that really understand all the things, even, Neil, that you and I and Roger and, and Bob talk about on a weekly basis? Where do you find churches willing to stand up and do those things? And the reality is they're becoming fewer and fewer and fewer, and that's part of the problem, Neil. That's my belief. Yeah, I I was thinking about some of the questions uh, you know, that we would talk about on today's roundtable, and you actually referred to some things you thought the church was doing wrong uh, these days, and I, you know, I chimed in as well. But some things I want to say that I think the church has done right 
is to change the methods of how we go about sharing our faith and talking about the things of God, uh, but not changing the message. And now, that doesn't happen in every case, and there's some people, you know, the bullhorn kind of mentality that I think are just out in left field, but right. I do respect the fact that the church, somewhere along the line, John, you and I grew up in really legalistic churches, right? And that didn't work either. Yeah, that didn't work so good. Uh, you couldn't drink, swear, smoke, play cards. You couldn't wear denim. You couldn't go to movies. That's I wasn't right. allowed to do anything on Sundays. No. Couldn't watch yep. Batman. Whatever. All, right. I knew, all I knew was what I couldn't do. I didn't really That's learn how right. to be a believer. That's right. And once the barn door was open, man, I went out to experience everything I had never been allowed to do. And I think a lot of younger people did that. Um, the church has has become more amenable to understanding how real people think. Like on a Sunday morning at you know nine a.m., kind of like to have a cup of coffee. So a lot of churches have a cafe in their lobby now, and I, I think those things make sense if you're not changing the message. Agreed. So I do I do Agreed. think the church has made strides in understanding that if we're going to reach culture, like the Apostle Paul said, "I've become all things to all men." We do have to understand how. Uh, people yep. who don't know Jesus yeah, and, think. And what's that old saying, Neil? The methods can change, but the message can't. Right, right. And I'm so, okay with that, by the way. I, I'm okay. You know you know me. I'm sort of, you know, especially from the business side of things. You know, if we can reach more people and change our method, uh, not, you know, wa- not watering anything down, but still reaching people and doing what we need to do, I'm all for that, Neil. I have no problem with changing methods. That's why I'm, I'm not one of those guys where, you know, a church has to have a hymnal or they can't show anything up on the screen or they can't use, you know, different kinds of, I mean, you kind of do whatever works for you in your area and what's drawing people to you, but make sure the message is solid. Yeah. I mean, you've got people that if they come to your church, they're coming from, you know, homes that are, there's a divorce going on or a broken home. Um, People are struggling with abuse and addiction and all kinds of stuff. And they come in and find out that somebody's having an argument at the church business meeting about whether or not you can have a hymnal or whether you ought to get rid of the hymnals. And it's like, what, what does this even matter? Does this even matter? So I think that the church has been guilty of sometimes majoring on the minors and not choosing to love other people where they're at. In fact, we had an interesting conversation, was it last week, about the He Gets Us campaign. Um, I don't think we need to present to the world a watered-down Jesus, but we do need to present to the world a Jesus who hung out with prostitutes and sinners and made tax collectors and fishermen um, his disciples. So I think being accurate about who Jesus really is matters. And I just think, above all else, a sense of humility and authenticity. Like, we are broken people who need Jesus, um, and Jesus has helped us tremendously. And these are the things that I struggle with. Let me tell you how he's helped me. I think authenticity and humility would go a long way as to how we conduct ourselves and maybe winning some of these people back to understand that we're real human beings with real problems, and Jesus is the real answer. Can't argue that. And, and I, I've had different people and even guests that want to come on and talk about the whole you know, he gets us thing, and some people are very, very much against it. Some are for it. Neil, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, I, I haven't wasted any airtime on that and probably am not going to because that's a debate. That's a rabbit hole, frankly. You can just keep going down in and waller around in. And at the end of the day, the way I look at it is, can we open up a conversation and start talking to other people about things that they wouldn't otherwise talk about? And I'm okay with whatever that is that gets that conversation going. No, I don't want to water anything down. But I think what some folks forget is, you know, when you're not a Christian in the first place, and maybe you've got a few questions, but you've always been afraid to even start asking, 
And if there's something that you just see that clicks that and says, you know, I'm going to ask a few questions. I'm going to go online. I'll go ahead and fill out a form. I'll find out if there's a local group I can be involved in. You know, Neil, I'm not against any of that. So I'm not quite as hardcore on that as probably a lot of other folks are. Yeah. How old were you when you accepted Christ? Quick question because we're seven years old. Were you? I was. I, I made a profession of faith at the age of five. I went forward um, and threw a stick in a fire, symbolically saying uh, mm-hmm. it was a campfire at a camp. And that, Lord, I don't want my sin anymore. But yeah. I know for sure. I was seven, I was, and then eleven. You know, I, re- I you know at seven I yeah. did that, and then when I was eleven, uh, I think it was eleven or twelve. Uh, would have been eleven, nineteen seventy-five, August seventeenth, nineteen seventy-five. I really, I think at that point, at that. Neil realized what does all of this really mean, and I'm going to make sure that I reconfirm what I did when I was seven years of age. But yeah, August 17th, 1975. Yeah. And for me, the follow-up was uh, June 25th, 1974. I was 13. So we were right in the t- same time zone. Man. There you I mean, go. Like, you know, same era. Um, John, we couldn't do these kind of conversations. We couldn't talk about Jesus or biblical truth without the support of our advertising partners, no. our sponsors like Preborn. You're right. And, and I know we talk a lot about a lot of things, and it's very important for us to Really keep the message clear. Preborn saves lives. As you said earlier, $28 saves a baby's life. And some of you that have way more resources, and Bob talks about this a lot, you can donate enough money to buy an ultrasound machine and save thousands, literally thousands of babies' lives. Because, guys, I don't think folks really realize, Neil, that machine will live on, in some cases, maybe beyond you. That's how long some of that equipment will last. And the technology, to your point earlier, has gotten so great that these women can literally see, wow, wow, that's not just a piece of tissue that's growing inside of me that some on the left would say, that's actually my baby. I can see him or her sucking their thumb and having movements and doing things that I would not have ever pictured being there. And it's a game changer, Neil, literally for a lot of young women that wouldn't otherwise see that because no, they don't get to see that at Planned Parenthood. So for all of you listening, you can make an ongoing donation, by the way, that $28. You could do it weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever you can afford. Donate today. You can do that by going to CrawfordMediaGroup.net and clicking on Preborn. Amen and amen. Yeah, do that. And check out uh, all of the resources available at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. The report I referred to earlier, I'll just be brief here, but that Cultural Research Center report from Arizona Christian University. One of the conclusions uh, George Barner wrote at the end of the uh, report said, sadly, people have become so self-focused and their beliefs are now so self-serving that no politician elected in 2024 can reasonably be expected to restore common purpose and shared vision to our nation without a serious reshaping of people's worldviews. The only true hope for America at this point, he continued, is a period of spiritual renewal that restores a widespread understanding and basis of truth, individual purpose, and personal responsibility within a community context. And Lord, may that be so. But bring us back to the things that matter, and that's a relationship with you. Amen and amen. John, amen. thank you. Thanks for hanging with me today. It was just a two. Hey, you know, it's been a joy, Neil. And and I, you know, when there's only the two of us, you always wonder, okay, how's this going to go? You know, there, there's not as many people <laughs> talking. Honestly, I've en- I've enjoyed today. It's given us a chance to go back and forth on a few things, and I think ultimately. All of you that are listening, you 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 know you you solid Christians that are listening, that please don't put your faith in just one man. You need to put it in our system. You need to do a better job of working the system. By the way, uh, you know Neil, to your point, we need to do a better job of being involved on all levels, the local level, the national level, whatever you can possibly do. And I will say this: when it comes to politics, and those of you that are you know always Trumpers, Neil, it's a lot like how you and I grew up. 
You can't thump somebody over the head with the Bible and expect them to become a Christian that way. <laughs> the same is true when it comes to politics and Donald Trump. You can't thump the middle over the head with your beliefs and how politics should work and expect to win. It's exactly the same analogy. Amen. Well, a reminder that you can watch the video of this podcast at myhopenow.com. And also, I want to say again, thanks to our faithful sponsors, Preborn and Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial. You can find them at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. Hopefully, Bob and Roger will be back with us next week. Uh, Thanks to all of you who listened today. John, thank you so much. Have a great day, all of you. God bless you. And Lord willing, we'll have the pleasure of hanging out with you again next week on another edition of the National Crawford Roundtable. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens, brought to you by Preborn, saving babies and souls. Join us in the fight to save babies from abortion. Your gift provides a free ultrasound for a mother in need. 80% of the time, she will choose life. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on their logo to donate. And Wilson Financial Advisors, over 50 years of financial expertise and success, helping you build confidence in your financial future. Visit CrawfordMedia.net and click on their logo for more information. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more from your local Crawford Media Group station or at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. And you can watch video of the podcast at MyHopeNow.com. Be sure to follow My Hope Now wherever you follow social media. And please give this podcast a five-star rating on your Apple app. Look for the notification on your app for when the next weekly edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is ready for you to download. This is a Crawford Media Group production.